Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, special edition of the program today. I have Dr. Cornelis Venema. He's the president and professor of doctrinal studies at Mid-American Reform Seminary in Indiana. He's the author of several books, including Getting the Gospel Right and Christ and the Future. Now, he is going to be one of our speakers at uh, Boise Reformation 2019. That's coming up November 8th and 9th. Don't want to miss it. All the details are at ReformationBoise.com. Um, such a pleasure to have you on the phone with us today, Dr. Venema. Oh, again, I'm very happy to be with you. Yeah. So you're going to be teaching um, quite a controversial session on the return of Christ. Um, this will be the last session. And I say controversial, you know, a bit tongue in cheek. I mean, it, it, obviously, the return of Christ is the hope of every Christian. Um, there's just some disagreement on some of the details of how that actually comes to pass. But I've really enjoyed your book. Um, on Christ in the Future. Let me just give a little blurb for it real quick. This is a book that you published through Banner of Truth, and it's a very readable book. I mean, it's it's about, let's see here, it's less than 250 pages. Uh, I, I feel like it's pretty quick pace. I feel like the center of it is very Christ-exalting. Um, did you enjoy writing that book? I certainly did, although I have to make this comment. It's... Christ in the Future is actually a digest, a shorter version, more popular version of a longer book that I wrote, The Promise of the Future, also published by Banner of Truth. And I have to give credit where credit is due. I had considerable help in making the move from the larger, in some ways more theologically um, difficult book, although I don't think it's beyond the reach of most um members of the church. But uh, I was helped by Glenda Mathis, Mm -hmm. who, by my, in response to my request, agreed to do something I was rather uh, pained to do. You know, every word that you write, you don't wish to lose. (laughs) So it was easier for her to uh, shorten it up. And then I looked it over and it was a collaborative effort. Mm. Well, it was such a wonderful book. And I think it's so I feel like um, reading your book on Christ in the future is a bit like when I first came to the doctrines of grace where, you know, the doctrines of grace were so biblical and just, you can see them right there in the, in the pages of scripture. And I kind of came out of a, you know, um, very dispensational background. And, and so some of the readings on, 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 on eschatology were kind of very speculative. And I feel like opening up your book was, was very much like, oh, he's just 
grounding all of this in in scripture, plain scripture that you can see and reason through with your own eyes. So I really appreciated that about your book. So let's get to it. Um, Obviously, you think that this uh, issue of the return of Christ is very important since you've written on it. Can you tell us why the return of Christ is so important to the Christian? I would say that it's important in the most basic sense that it represents the ultimate consummation, the conclusion of Christ's great work of redemption as our mediator, our redeemer, our savior. It's the last step, theologians would say, in his state of exaltation. And when he comes, he comes to judge the living and the dead. He comes to give to the believer the fullness and perfection of all that which he has obtained for us by his redemptive work, which means the renewal of our bodies, souls, our glorification. It also means the judging and the consigning to punishment of those who are disobedient and who responded to the gospel message with persistent disobedience. He restores and renews even the creation itself, as Paul speaks in Romans 8, we await, uh, even as the creation presently groans, the revelation and uh, glorification of the sons of God, at which time even the creation itself will be, in a manner of speaking, renewed, sanctified, cleansed, and will in- enter into the fullness of what God has destined and accomplished for us in Christ life without end Mm. in the new heavens and in the new earth in states in a state of perfection glorification so i it there's no way you can diminish or minimize the great hope that awaits or that drives the christian as we anticipate the coming again of our lord jesus christ Mm. Amen. Well, if you're just tuning in on the phone with me today, I have Dr. Cornelis Venema. He's going to be one of our speakers at our upcoming Boise Reformation Conference. All the details are at reformationboise.com. Now, Dr. Venema is going to be speaking on the return of Christ. Such a, you know, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that for every seven or eight verses in the Bible that, that talk about the first coming of Christ, sorry, I got that wrong, for every one verse that the Bible speaks about the first coming of Christ, there are seven or eight that talk about the second coming of Christ. This is certainly um, the event um, in human history. Um, you made a statement in your book, Dr. Venema, uh, that I thought was, was just completely remarkable. You said, quote, the return of Christ will be an event that will personally and publicly display the honor and splendor and authority of Jesus Christ. It is not, first of all, an event that promises relief and comfort to the beleaguered people of God in the world, end quote. Can you explain what you mean by that? What I mean by that is, I used the language a bit ago in the first segment regarding Christ's state of exaltation. It Christ came in the context of the story of his coming to us, assuming our flesh in the fullness of time, 
to do the work that he was called to do to realize our salvation, he comes again a second time, not only to conclude that work, but the language even used in the New Testament for that coming of Christ a second time, either it's the language of revelation, which is literally apocalypsis, or it's the language of epiphany or manifestation, or it's uh, the language of parousia, coming. And all of those terms, as well as others, represent that return of Christ as a manifest display for all to see. Every eye will behold him, believer and unbeliever alike, and they will no longer see him veiled, you might say, in flesh, but unveiled, openly displayed in the fullness of his person as the incarnate son and redeemer. And the language of Paul, even in Second Thessalonians 1, suggested he will be marveled at yes. among all those who have believed. And the apostle Peter even speaks of those who have loved him, yet not having seen him. We walk by faith, not by sight. But at Christ's coming, that in which we have put our confidence and faith will be openly manifest for everyone to see, whether willingly or unwillingly. And so I, my interest in that comment was to uh, accent first and foremost that it's not merely a coming to fulfill and complete our redemption, but it is also uh, an open display of the identity of his person and the truth of the gospel that no creature will be able to miss or deny. You know, amen to all of that. I, I remember first coming to understand some of the tenets of Reformed theology and what struck me I think the deepest was this idea that God does everything for his own glory. I remember the first time I heard the, the shorter catechism question, uh, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And and then I just started seeing it everywhere, right? I mean, 1 John 2, 12, that our sins are forgiven for his namesake. Psalm 23, that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even this idea of the return of Christ, that very verse that you quoted in 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. In other words, Jesus is coming back mainly to be glorified on the earth. That is such a refreshingly God-centered view of theology. Um, is that, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll just ask the question and you can answer it the way you want to. Why do you think that, that some evangelicals put so little stock in the return of Christ today? I'm not sure I can answer that question. Um, there are some believers who I argue in my book have a view of the presence of the kingdom even now in history before Christ comes that is so over-realized and so, um, I think, unduly optimistic 
about what will be the case before Christ comes, that the eager anticipation of his coming is lessened. If we enter into a millennial age of uh, blessing and uh, prosperity and justice prevailing in the earth and Christ's rule recognized everywhere, I'm talking about post-millennialism, right. uh, it, it really seems difficult to sustain the kind of biblical emphasis on come Lord, yes, come quickly. The believers longing, even yearning for uh, relief and rest and the fullness of salvation that will be brought in, ushered in at Christ's coming. Mm. Now, in other cases, why there's a waning and a diminishment of focus upon the return of Christ, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think it may well even reflect the loss of a Christ-centeredness yeah. in the way the gospel is preached and taught. Because if it's all about Christ, his person and work, that's the centerpiece of the whole gospel and its message. And what he's done for us, what he is doing now through us, what he will do when he comes, I suppose it's easy to allow the reality of his return and the final step, as the theologians put it in his exaltation, to recede into the background. And we and our needs and the like come to the foreground. Yeah. I, I do think it's important, though, to add one comment. When we emphasize the glory of God and the glory of his Son, and by the working of his Spirit in the way of salvation as Reformed Christians, we don't mean to in any way uh, diminish uh, the comfort, the promise, right. the enjoyment, uh, the wonder that is ours as believers at God's great work of grace in our lives and in the lives of his people. Because as Calvin says, God has joined his glory. He displays his glory precisely in doing for us, those whom he loves in Christ and saves through Christ, uh, he's tied his glory to our comfort, to yes. our good. Amen. We don't play those off against each other. Right, yeah. We don't have to pick between, well, gee, do I want God to be glorified or do I want to to have joy and rejoicing? Uh, scripture has married those together. That's one end. Well, on the phone um, with me today, I had Dr. Cornelis Venema. Thank you so much for being on the program with us. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and he, Dr. Venema is going to be one of our speakers at ReformationBoise.com. All of the details are there. We hope to see you at the conference. 